You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. Big bag full of treats. Hickory Farms cheese and meats. Santa Claus, Santa Claus. Free toys ain't no gif. You don't have to tip. Santa Claus, 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 Santa Claus. Hey everybody, welcome to the Savage Love Cast. That was the vocal stylings of Miss Dina Martina singing one of her popular Christmas carols here in honor of Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day, and we're doing the podcast because. Like Santa's elves, we never rest here at the Savage Lovecast. Uh, you got me and you got the tech savvy at risk youth at work, hard at work on Christmas Day, providing you with all the sex and love and relationship advice that you require. 206-201-2720 is the number if you want to record a question for a future podcast and you download this War on Christmas edition of Savage Love Cast every week at thestranger.com slash savage. Let's get right to the calls. We got bunches. Hi, Dan. My name's Caitlin, and I'm a 20-year-old straight female college student. My girlfriends and I are all sexually adventurous, but are frustrated by the limitations of our college living situation. We are wondering how we can be kinky in a dorm room with a twin bed, papers and walls, and little privacy. We're getting tired of the handcuffed bit, and we're craving kinkiness. Thanks, Dan. Any advice would help. You're our sex guru. Uh, hey, Caitlin. It's Dan. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So how goes the handcuffs and dorm rooms and thin walls problem? Yeah, it's a, we, we need a little help, please. <laughs> <laughs> handcuffs are so boring. That's not even kinky anymore. A little light bondage. That's, you know, that's everybody does that. We live in the post-Madonna universe and bondage ain't kink. It's JV, I know. <laughs> bondage is the new oral. Okay. And anal is the new bondage. And we're all, you know, onward and upward. But here's what you got to do. Um, here's what I'm, I'm surprised it doesn't occur to you. Like, why are you fucking in your dorm room? It's the only place. No, it's, it's not. Really. You have a university at your disposal. I, yeah. Are there I not? Mean, uh, you know, what, do you go to a big school or a small school? Uh, medium, medium. Okay, any school, university of any size has a thousand little nooks and crannies. You know, is there a theater department? Yes, there is. Then there's a backstage area. There are dressing <laughs> rooms. Is there a library? Then there are bathrooms in far-off corners of the library. You know, you don't have to be, you know, two men to have sex in a bathroom at a university library. (laughs) You can even bring the fucking handcuffs along. That's what the radiators are there for. So now how would I I initiate that? How would I just call the guy and tell him to meet me there? Sure. Or you say, you know what, the dorm room's too crowded and there's no privacy, so let's go fucking public where we can have some (laughs) privacy. Okay. Because, you know, most um, universities, most, like, classrooms and libraries and, and, you know, backstage at university theaters and little corners of the quad and maintenance sheds, all that shit is deserted most of the time. And the great thing is if they catch you, what are they going to do? They they could have you arrested for public indecency. Uh, And if you go to some crazy Christian college, they could throw you out, I guess. No, 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 no. Very liberal, very liberal. They're not going to do anything. They're going to say, hey, knock it off. Okay. I mean, okay. So the freak you should get on when you're in college, you know, when when you're out of college and you get your own apartment, you can build a big bondage setup if that's your thing. In your (laughs) first apartment, the thing to do, the freak to get on when you're in college is the crazy places public sex freak. 
Okay. That sounds... I'm on break now, but I, as soon as I get back, that sounds like a great thing to try. And you know what's awesome about it, actually? Because school is boring, and, you know, trudging from classroom to classroom is boring. If you fuck all over campus with your significant other... Uh-huh. Everywhere you go, you're going to like have a little twinge of a little erotic <laughs> memory. You'll like, be walking through the library, and you'll go, oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> you'll be walking to some class, and you'll pass some broom closet, and you go, oh, we fucked in there two weeks ago. It was so hot. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds great. And your whole actually. campus becomes this this geography of erotic memories. Thank you. I mean, I, I will definitely share this with all my girlfriends because we were, we were stuck. And if you have girlfriends, you know what that means you have. What? Co-conspirators. <laughs> so that if you're worried about getting caught, you grab the boyfriend and you put a girlfriend on lookout. Very true. And they don't even have to, you know, nowadays they don't even have to, like, burst in on you and see you fucking to warn you that someone's coming. They can just send you a text. That, yeah. That sounds, that sounds great. Okay. My, my, my boyfriend thanks you in advance. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell him I want him to send me some dirty pictures as a, as a, <laughs> as a gratuity. All right, great. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Bye. Hi, Dan. This is uh, Richard. Um, I'm a straight dude, and I'm in a long-distance relationship, uh, sort of a vacation ship. We, um, how many times I really see my girlfriend is when we're, uh, you know, vacationing in New York or National Park or something uh, exciting like that. And we're going to be in New York soon, crashing on a friend's couch. And I sort of wanted to know the etiquette on how to um, have a lot of sex in someone's, you know, when you're a guest. Uh, we're going to be, like, on a couch, so not a whole lot of privacy. Uh, if you have any ideas, like, you know, just be really quiet or do it in the shower or very politely ask if, you know, our host can take uh, maybe an hour errand here and there. Um, I don't know what to do. Just as a university provides endless opportunities for public sex, New York fucking city. You can fuck your brains out up and down the island of Manhattan and all over Brooklyn. Uh, and most people will turn a blind eye. There was a big story in one of the tabloids in New York. Some dude wandered naked through midtown Manhattan. Nobody even batted an eye. You could fuck in public in New York City and get away with it. As long as you're not doing it in St. Patrick's Cathedral during a radio show. Uh, but all of your impulses, if you don't want to fuck outside, if you don't want to join the gay men in the ramble for a ramble... In Central Park, all your impulses are correct. You have quiet, furtive sex, just like your teenagers and your parents are down the hall. Um, that can be hot. You fuck in the shower. You know, go and take a shower together and fuck your brains out. Um, and y- you should be able to go to your host and say, you know, dude, I- 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 we don't see each other often. And when we do, we really like to fucking nail it. I'll buy you four extra host gifts if... We can impose on you, you know, here's tickets to a show. Just give us like two or three hours alone on your couch and uh, we promise to lay down a tarp. You should do all that. Actually, do all of it. Fuck quiet, fuck in the shower, get your host tickets to a show, ask him to give you some privacy and go fuck all over New York because that's what New York is there for. Hi, Dan. This is Jack from Austin. Um, I'm going to try and keep this as quick as possible. Number one, I owe you a thank you. Uh, were it not for you, I would not have really come to terms with my girlfriend's vibrator and really uh, been able to use that and bring our relationship to a better point. Uh, and about my girlfriend, she is the most wonderful, intelligent, amazing girl I have ever heard of. She's just phenomenal. Uh, she gets to write her own ticket with me. She's just 
show absolutely amazing, and I am a lucky man to have her. And that said, I have only one contention, is that I can't get her to, to tell, let me know her fantasy, what she wants out of a, out of a relationship, you know? Maybe not as just much as a relationship, but out of our sex life. And, uh, I mean, she tells me she has, but I, I turn her on, and that's great. I'm glad. I'm happy about it. But I want to be able to fulfill her better, uh, do more for her. And maybe this is, am I, am I, this is, am I going overboard here? Should I just let her take her time on this? Or, you know, is this something that I should really talk to her about? Is there ways that you can recommend me talking to her about this? One of the things we have to be careful of while we're all being sort of crazy and kink positive and fantasy positive and fetish positive is that we don't make people who really don't have anything that would qualify as a kink or a fetish or a secret fantasy that has to be withheld feel like they're the freaks. It's entirely possible that your girlfriend's fondest fantasies that her deepest darkest desires to have a guy in her life who's absolutely crazy about her and digs her vibrator and gets her off and loves her and that you're it and so she's not withholding anything you know a lot of people feel now these days with the you know because of columns like mine i guess because of you know greater awareness of people's hidden sexual depths and kinks and you know greater acceptance of them culturally and sexually and within people's relationships that anyone who doesn't have one has to be hiding it or, or, or withholding it or lying or or has a hang-up or just doesn't love you enough or isn't comfortable enough with you to reveal it sometimes you just got to say you know, I'm open to anything, honey. I'm open to your fantasies. I'm open to your kinks. And if they say, you know what, this is everything I want and this is totally working for me, you got to believe them. You got to, and so you got to let it lie. The only other thing you can do in this circumstance, if you suspect, you know, you know her, you're with her, I'm not. If you suspect that she's got fantasies that she's, you know, too shy or too embarrassed to reveal, the only other thing you can do is really lead by example. Be open with her about your kinks and your fantasies while constantly emphasizing your desire to be GGG for her, good giving and game for her, uh, and, and up for whatever she's into while, you know, revealing to her in the way you would like her to reveal to you the things that turn you on. And either she will, if she's got them, reveal them to you in time, or she will one day acquire a few you know, a lot of guys tend to impose on women, you know, this really male model of, of sexual desire and response and male fantasy, uh, you know, male erotic inner life. Most guys with fetishes and kinks pretty, not, pretty much know what they are uh, and very specifically know what they are and what they want to do by 15. Women's sexual response seems to be different. And women's coming into their own fantasies and fetishes and kinks, it seems to take a bit longer. A lot of women don't sort of fully come into their own sexually until they hit their sexual peak. Uh, guys hit their sexual peaks as teens. Women hit their sexual peaks in their late 20s or early 30s. And it's been my observation, and it's not a scientific study, that kinky guys uh, are in touch with their kinks and articulate about their fetishes and desires, uh, if they're open about them, very young. And women become more articulate and come into their kinks uh, later. And so you may be laying the groundwork now for, you know, a very freaky girl to burst out of your girlfriend five, ten years down the road. 
And if you guys have established a relationship that's free and open with all, you know, where you're both open to sexual possibility and play and she's been GGG for you and you've always put it on the table that you're going to be GGG for her and whatever she wants, you'll go there. You may reap the benefits of the kind of sexual relationship you've established and you may discover what her fantasies are when she discovers what her fantasies are. But it might be a few more years down the road before she comes into them, before she comes into an awareness of them. And so you, my friend, just need to be cash, a little bit more casual. You need to trust her. Trust that she's not withholding anything and enjoy her and count your fucking blessings. You're with a woman you're crazy about. You can get her off. You're not afraid of her vibrator. And it sounds like everything's hunky-dory and you're creating a problem or, or, or you know, engineering a problem where really one doesn't exist. Hi, Dan. I'm a 23-year-old bi female. Um, I've been dating a, a polyamorous couple for the last six months. Um, it's my first experience with poly and also my first experience with a dominant-submissive relationship. They're, they, we do that, like, kinky-wise, but then also it's part of the relationship dynamic. And uh, I've been interested in, like, spanky and pain since I was a lot younger, but hadn't really considered it as a lifestyle until I met him, and uh, and then I met her the next time. And uh, I guess my question is, they both say they're wanting a poly relationship, but then she, she like, we enjoy each other when we're together, but then she has a lot of problems with me other times, and, I mean, just doesn't really seem ready for a third person to be in their relationship but she won't say that she's not like I've asked her like to just tell me if she's not ready and I'll just go away. But she won't say that she says she wants it, but then she gets upset. Like if I get to do things, they've been together two years. And so if I get to do things like chronologically before she got to do them when they were together, then she gets like really upset about that and stuff. And all my friends say that she doesn't really want Polly. She's just trying to make him happy, which maybe, well, so yeah, I'm just wondering if you think I'm being stupid trying to pursue this. Like I'm getting really attached to both of them and I want it to work, but I just don't know if she can actually be ready or not. They both tell me um, that, you know, she just needs time to get used to it and stuff, but it's like, I just feel really rejected when she needs, like recovery time for my visits because it's so stressful and whatnot. Trust your gut. Just go away. It's not working. She's not happy. Whatever's coming out of her mouth about how she wants to be poly and how she's cool with this is not coming out in her actions or behaviors or her feelings about you and your involvement with her partner, her primary partner, and so you need to trust your gut. You need to get the fuck out of this. You, it's making you feel bad. And it's unfair to you what these two are doing to you. The position that they're putting you in, where you're feeling like the other woman, where you're feeling like you're emotionally abusing this woman uh, by being a part of this triad. Because she doesn't really want to be in a triad or isn't ready for a triad. So stop seeing them. Tell them why you're going to stop seeing them. Tell them, you know, whatever you're saying, and, you know, lady, what, the things you're telling me are contradicted by, you know, clearly how you're feeling about this and, you know, your need for recovery time after we're all three together. So I think it's best for all of us if 
we stop. Maybe not forever. Maybe we can, you know, revive this nightmarish little arrangement down the road if you feel more secure in, in your relationship with him. But clearly you don't right now, and I'm a threat, and I don't like how I'm being treated, I don't like how I'm being made to feel, and so I'm out. That's what you need to say. You know, you can be in poly relationships, and honest to God, you know, I've seen poly relationships at work. We had a call on the show last week about a dysfunctional poly relationship. Most of the calls and letters you get when you write an advice column or, or give advice on a podcast are about dysfunctional relationships. So I don't want people to get the impression from, you know, a string of polydrama questions that all poly relationships are are, are, are drama fests and that they never work. They do work. A lot of them work. The ones that work, people don't call me with questions about because they don't need my help. They don't need any advice. This one doesn't work. So you need to pull the fucking plug. And if you want to be in a poly dom sub relationship and get your butt spanked and live the lifestyle, you can. There are couples out there who are ready for a third in their lives and ready for a woman like you dying for a woman like you. And couples who are secure and ready for a third and for a woman like you as a part of their relationship aren't going to make you feel terrible every time you mess around with them. You're going to feel good when you see them. You're going to feel like you're contributing something to their pair bond and that you're getting something out of it besides a bright red butt. And you won't call me ever again when you get in that relationship. A rule of thumb, I think generally poly relationships that I've seen that worked, the two people that were together first or the, you know, the primary partners, if that's how it's structured, usually have been together longer than 24 months. It takes longer than 24 months before you feel really secure with someone else's commitment to you. And you feel secure about your primacy in the relationship before you can open it up. I would urge you when you're looking around to be suspicious of anybody. And this is not just for the caller. This is for everybody out there who's thinking about poly or being, you know, tapped by people for poly relationships. If they've been together less than four years, I would regard the offer of poly or a poly structure or a triad or a quad uh, as highly suspect. I would think they may not be ready for that. I would worry that their relationship and their partner bond wasn't strong enough to withstand the pressures. And there are pressures of adding another person to the relationship. Hi, Dan. Um, I am 22 and I live with my 25 year old boyfriend. Uh, we've been together for a little over three years. Uh, when we first got together, we were having sex all the time, everywhere. It was really good, you know, three, four times a day. Um, now I feel like we don't have sex at all. Um, you know, I know you have relationships and they, and they start off with a bang as it were. And, uh, you know, things calm down from there. But, um, I just feel like, you know, I'll try to initiate something and he's tired or he, you know, it's, not the time of the day where he's horny or whatever. And I've, I've tried to talk to him about it. And, um, you know, as always, I'm stressed out, I'm tired, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, to be fair, we're both in grad school right now, so we are very stressed out. But I just don't know. I just don't know how to bring the sex back because everything else is perfect. Um, so, yeah, any advice? I hope you don't say just leave him. Um, <laughs> but any advice would be very, very greatly appreciated. Thanks. It must be all the toffee, Christmas toffee I just ate, because I, I, I unspooled this really long, involved, complicated answer for you, and the tech-savvy, at-risk youth 
looked at me and shook their heads and told me I had to start over because my answer wasn't helpful at all. Or it, didn't, it made sense in my sugar-addled brain, but it didn't make sense coming out of my mouth. So I'm going to give it one more go. All right, here's what you got to do. You're in grad school now. Probably weren't in grad school before. You're in grad school now. So there's all these outside time pressures and circumstances are, you know, making it more difficult for you guys to have sex spontaneously because you're under a lot of pressure and you're tired all the time. Completely understandable. Also understandable, it's never going to be like it was in the first few months. It's never going to be that passionate just in the moment and it probably won't ever be that frequent ever again. Welcome to a long-term relationship. What you've got to do is instead of putting, you know, the expectation or, you know, creating the pressure that you're going to restore your sex life to what it was three years ago, you guys just have to make sure that you're having enough sex that you feel like your bond is being maintained and you feel like your erotic needs are being met. What you don't want to do is start making sex this one more goddamn thing you've got to get done every week. Or you don't want him to feel that way. You don't want to feel that way. So what you want to do is create a little time in the week or every other week, whatever works with your you know crazy grad student schedules, where it's intimate time and erotic time and sex can happen or can't happen. You don't want that pressure. But there's going to be time where it's just you two. You're just going to be a couple. You're not going to get stoned. You're not going to drink. You're not going to eat food. Don't make it dinner because you just can go to fucking sleep and just carve out that time where you can have maybe sex less frequently. But if you create this opportunity for each other emotionally and physically and intimately, you'll have better sex and in more intense sex than you are right now, but maybe less frequently than you would like for the duration of your grad school career. Is that all right? Tech heavy at risk youth. All right. I'm getting the okay signs. So that time it made sense leaving my mouth. Yes. All right. Moving on. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm 27 years old. Um, the oldest of three boys and, um, my youngest brother who's 18 just came out to the family over Thanksgiving. And in my family, that's, um, that's, that's totally cool. Uh, we were raised by parents who are pretty progressive and made some parenting choices that, uh, were intended to make it pretty clear to us that being gay is cool. They raised us in the members of a religious organization that was probably a majority gay. Um, my parents had a lot of gay friends growing up, uh, while I was growing up. Um, and uh, this is all just to make the point that um, it was a very intentional thing that my parents did. Um, so needless to say, I'm pretty surprised when, after my brother um, came out to us, um, he's, totally, he's totally cool handling it well. Um, my mom is having a hard time with it and uh, has said some things to me, I'm pretty sure not to my brother, but to me that sort of verge on, on homophobic. Um, and uh, I just don't know what to do about it or, or how to help her uh, get over that. And, and I'm honestly just shocked by the whole thing um, because of how she raised us. Um, it sort of doesn't jive here. So I'm wondering if I could just get your, your input on that. Um, see what you think and see if I can, or if you have any suggestions about how I can uh, make her realize that she's sort of acting counter to how she raised us. Um, thanks. Hello? Hey, it's Dan. Hi. Uh, just listened to your message. Oh, great. About your mom. You got a minute? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we're all dying to know what it is your mother said to you that you thought was homophobic about your brother. Uh, well, there was a couple things. 
One of it was when she was uh, sort of jokingly, but, <laughs> um, you know, maybe partly seriously about um, what she said. He, my brother had a, um, a teacher in high school who was, uh, who was gay, mm-hmm. who he was very close to, and she had made some joke about threatening to sue him for harassing my brother, which which she never, ever would have done before. I never heard her say anything like that, essentially implying that it was my brother... Was molesting him with this. Right, basically. And the the only other one uh, um, that was, like, so bad was when she essentially uh, told told me that uh, I would have her permission to uh, beat him up if he uh, ended up... um, you know, if he became, if he acted flaming in any way, he's not a very flaming kid right now. He's not very effeminate, but uh, um, wow. that sort of shocked me too. Wow, that's uh, yes. hardcore. Please gay bash your brother uh, for me. You have carte blanche. Right. Um, you know, people, gay people, homosexuals can be homophobic, <laughs> right? Particularly when you know we're we're young. Uh, we can be very homophobic because we sort of are, you know, we despise this thing in ourselves that have ca- that causes us all these all this grief um, with our families, with our religions, with our desire to be a marine. So, you know, knowing that a gay person can be homophobic stands to reason that a straight person, however gay friendly she may have seemed, can harbor little scraps of homophobia. Yeah, there's my, also. My, there's also the, the the issue of, you know, your mother's, you know, gay friendliness all these years. Uh, she may have been, you know, engaged in a little bit of overcompensation. You know, there's right. a lot of people out there who are, you know, good liberals who realize now that, you know, the gay issue is a left-right battlefield and they want to be on the side of the angels. And so they mm-hmm. affect a more pro-gay Stance, a wide pro-gay stance, even um, than they actually feel in their hearts, and, and that's fine because you know what? If you affect it, you know, you'll move that way. Your heart will move that way. Yeah. So I'm not saying your mother was, you know, a lying bitch or anything when she was seeming more pro-gay than she has been revealed to be in this instance. Now, right? Um, it's just, you know, you just can't look to your mother's past behavior and say this is out of step because you don't know what necessarily was in her heart or what was motivating some of that past behavior. Right. My my girlfriend has two interesting theories about it. She says that one, you know, as much as my mom raised us like she did, um, and so now we, her sons, are, you know, great, progressive, accepting people, um, as much as she raised us to do that, the fact is, you know, she was raised in, you know, 1950s suburban America where, right. you know, things weren't so gay-friendly, and so she still has some of that. Right, right. And, and that's, that is to your mother's credit. That mm-hmm. she recognized that there were things that she was brought up to believe that she didn't want to pass on to you kids. Right. Even though she couldn't necessarily, you know, completely eradicate them from her own psyche. Right. So all credit to your mother. It would have been a lot easier for, for some people in your mother's shoes just to pass on the homophobia and the hatred or, in other circumstances with other parents, the racism or the sexism or the classism, Right. Right, so right. Mad, mad props to your mom. The other thing we have to you have to recognize is that however pro gay you feel in theory, mm-hmm. when a kid comes out, the rubber meets the road, or you know the rubber meets your son's rectum, and you have to be <laughs> pro gay suddenly in practice. 
and it can be different when you sort of like you know oh you know this priest this preacher at this church she's a lesbian and I'm going to support her because this is wrong mm-hmm. you know a lot of straight people have hang-ups around the mental images that are right. conjured up when someone says I'm gay like they can't get past it someone tells you you're straight or they just are straight you don't picture them having sex Right. You know what I mean? Someone tells you they're gay, and for a lot of straight people, bang, you just picture them having sex. That's going to unnerve your mother <laughs> about her teenage son, because she can suspend her disbelief and, you know, and, and not picture you guys, her other sons, you know, in flagrante, flagranto, however you say that, with your girlfriends. But it's going to take her a while before she can make that same sort of, you know, she can draw that same iron curtain across her imagination about her gay son. So her panic, and and her panic is not necessarily irrational. Right. About, you know, worried about her gay son and what he's in for now. Because he's now signed up for, and he's only 18, he's going to sleep with dudes. Right. And just as a lot of parents are more concerned about their daughters when they start Mm -hmm. dating, Mm -hmm. a lot of parents with gay sons are very concerned about their sons when they start dating for the same reason. Because men are pigs. Sure. You know what I mean? So her discomfort, it's all very understandable. So am I right to, I, I mean, I essentially told her to, you know, stop it with these comments that I don't want to hear from her, that if she wants to, to talk to me about this, she can't say these things, and that's enough, and I, I wouldn't talk to her until she until she agreed not to, to do this anymore. Was I, was I right to do that, or do I just let her... You were right you to know. do that. You were right to do that. The, the only, I would say to her, I would. Conf- you were mostly right, eighty <laughs> percent right. She okay. needs somebody she can blow off steam with. And what you should right. say to her is, "I'm better. You should say this shit to me than to to my brother, who's right. gay, because it'd be very damaging for him to hear you say these things. And I hope to God you're not saying these things to him. But I understand that you, you're a little freaked out. So right. blow okay. off steam with me. Let's talk about it. Here's some books." Maybe you need to go talk to that preacher you helped out so many years ago when she came out, and she can help you out a little bit now. Mm-hmm. But, Mom, you need to, like, get to the bottom of this and root it out, or it's going to permanently damage your relationship with your 18-year-old son and your 27-year-old son. Right. All right. But you got to well, let – you got to – you know, she's got certain feelings, and she needs to work through them. When I came out to my mom – Mm-hmm. My mom worked in restaurants and managed a restaurant for a million years and knew thousands of gay people, probably. I'm exaggerating. She knew lots of gay waiters. And still, when I came out, it was different. It was hard. Right. And it took her some time. And now my mom is like, P-Flag superhero mom who swoops in and you know grabs other people's mothers by the scruff of the neck and, and pulls them up short and gives them a talking to. But that summer when I came out was really hard for her, and I had to let it be hard for her. I had to let her have her feelings and work through them, and now everything's great. Yeah. The, the, you know, the thing about my, my mom is that a lot of the, the, the gay friends that she had and the, the community that she raised us in that was that had a lot of gay people, was, was a lot of lesbians. This mm-hmm. is another thing. Not as many gay men. And so I think... I think there's sort of some distinction in her mind, too, about that. I'm sure there is. And you know what the distinction is? It's easier for people who are uncomfortable with the reality of homosexuality to pretend that lesbians don't have sex. Right. Because there's no dick, there's no penetration, presumably. And it's just easier to, you know, suspend your disbelief and pretend that, you know, lesbians never take their pants off. Right. But with boys, it's harder. And so your mother, you know, her ability to interact with lesbians without freaking out 
isn't going to be the same as her ability to interact with gay men, particularly if one of those gay men is her son. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Does she live in a big city? Uh, yeah. Get her to a PFLAG meeting. She needs the support. She shouldn't lay too much of this on you. She needs to let off some of the steam with other women who've been in her shoes and worked through it and are healthy L- Luckily, w- one of her best friend's daughters came out um, a number, a decade or so ago. She's you know, four or five years older than me even. Um, and, and, and so my mom's friend has been sort of the super P-flag mom <laughs> the last decade and um, to a point where I think it's sort of annoying for my mom's friend's daughter. <laughs> the one who came out. You know, I have the but same I, problem with my mom. She has a rainbow sticker on her car. And yeah. I don't want to be in her gay car. Right. <laughs> like, my mom, I don't have a rainbow fucking sticker on my car. Yeah, Your right. car's gayer than mine. You're like a little old lady who lives in the suburbs. Fuck, stop yeah. it. I bet my mom will be there and give her four years. She'll be there, too. She will. She will. But you can, don't be too angry at her. You have to have, you know, some compassion. Okay. Like, like I always tell gay kids when they come up to their parents, there's this phase where you have to parent your parents about your gayness. And just like they put up with your tantrums when you were two you're going to have to put up with a few tantrums now that, that you're being truthful with them about who you are. And right. just power through it. And your parents, you threw tantrums. You, I bet you were guys fucking ran her ragged when you were kids. Oh, yeah. And oh, she yeah. loved you anyway. I guess so. And loved you still. And you know what? She's going to run you and your brother ragged a little bit over this as she works through it. And you guys just got to love her through it. All right. I think we can do that. Okay. Give us a call back and let us know how it's going. All right. We'll do. Thanks, Dan. Bye. All right, we're going to wrap it up there in this very special, heartwarming Christmas edition of the Savage Lovecast. Uh, one little addendum for the brother of the recently out 18-year-old. Please make sure he's using condoms. Please make sure he understands that uh, 45-year-old gay men who express sexual interest in him are not to be trusted. And uh, that he doesn't have to have anal sex on the first date with anyone ever. And shouldn't. And his Uncle Dan said so. 206-201-2720 is the phone number here at the Lovecast. You download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage, and we're going to take you out now with the inimitable vocal stylings of the lovely and charming and talented Miss Dina Martina. What is Christmas? Do you really want to know? All right. I will tell you. Christmas is more than just giving and taking. It's more than snowmen and snowballs and snow. It can be as simple as the glint of the snow on the soft summer breeze. Or just smiling at a blind person on the street. It's that cold December Christmas Eve, so long ago, when Mary and Joseph made that journey across the Sahara on a camel. And there was no room at the inn for them. So Mary turned to Joseph and said, I told you we should have made reservations. And Joseph said, Why don't you have a baby in that barn over there? And she said, Okay. And when they went inside the barn, Mary's water broke. So Joseph tore up some sheets and boiled the water. 
Not Mary's water, of course. He boiled some other water. But Mary's contractions got closer and closer together. But she wasn't worried, because she remembered the training she received in her Lamaze class. So she panted like a dog, and Jesus came out. And then, three wise men came. And then, a cow. And then a couple of sheep. And the wise man presented Mary with gifts like incense and peppermint. But they were very tired, the wise men. And more than that, they were hungry. So Mary got up and made them a big Christmas dinner with turkey and dressing and stuffing and maple bars and nutmeg. Then they all sat around the fire and roasted marshmallows and sang campfire songs. The End